0: We are uh, starting a new sermon series this week, and I actually want to invite my wife up here uh, as we kind of introduce the series. And let me just say, first of all, um, if you don't know, my wife, her name is Crystal. She's incredible. She's amazing. Um, she is a woman of depth. She's a woman of passion. She's a woman that challenges me in my faith and how I live my life, and we have had a blast. Uh, not only through the years of marriage, but even in this last season, dreaming together in a fresh way and seeking God. Together. We've been praying together more than ever. It's been rich. It's been alive. And, um, and, and it's been fun as we dream together not only of where do we want to see our family go, but as we've dreamed together along with leadership of the church, where do we want to see this church going. So, um, so she's awesome. I'm going to have her share in one second. But we're going to be starting a new sermon series uh, called uh, The Family of God. The family of God. And um, as we sought the Lord uh, a couple months ago, we took time at the end of 2018 to kind of say 2017. Yeah, we're not in the future. <clears throat> we took time at the end of 2017 to kind of not just say, God, what, you know, how big do you want our church to be 20 years now? But really more ask the question, regardless of size, and I have faith, we'll grow. what kind of culture do we want? Because we can grow and we, we got faith, but is culture. That changes the world. It's culture that transforms lives. What kind of culture do we want in our church? And this thing of family kept coming up with us as we were seeing that no matter how big we grow, we want to be family. We want to see that reproduce out. And, And then this weird thing happened. It was like God started speaking to us this theme everywhere. I talked to a couple other pastors in the Antioch movement. I hadn't talked to in a while, and they said, man, God is impressing this theme of family upon us as we go forward. Then the leader of the Antioch movement, Jimmy Seibert, was out on sabbatical, and uh, he hadn't talked to any of us pastors. He comes back, he was like, man, I got three things that got us highlighting for our movement this next season, and one of them is family. He came fresh, he hadn't even really talked to anyone, uh, he came fresh off sabbatical and shared that, and I was like, man, God is speaking. Then on top of that, I'm talking with... Uh, one of our uh, key leaders who's been a pastor before and someone I lean into uh, frequently just to kind of help me as I'm leading out the church and we're leading out the church and he said, man, God is speaking this thing of family that, that revival looks like healthy families. And it's just, okay, God, I think, you're, I think you're speaking. So as Chris and I were talking, praying to get along with the leadership of the church, we're saying, man, we feel like now is the time to kind of move forward in this arena, the church's family. So one of my wife just shared briefly just some things God's laying in her heart. And, yes. Yeah.
1: Okay. So this is one of the top five topics maybe that I'm most passionate about is family. And I think God's very passionate about it. And uh, one of the reasons that I am passionate about it is actually two people sitting in the second row right here. They're going to be embarrassed out of their mind. My parents are here today. Hey. Anyway. <laughs> um, I did want to share this and I didn't plan for them to be here today, but um, something that really, really marked me growing up is My mom and dad created a culture in our home that provided security for me and my sister. Um, Their their commitment to building our home around biblical truths, um, around unconditional love and acceptance and thriving personal relationship with Jesus really provided the security and clarity that my sister and I needed to grow in confidence, but also to meet Jesus and be transformed powerfully by him. And that place and that culture that they said in our home was like the launching pad for us to be sent out into the world as secure people, not perfect, but ones who knew who they were, know whose they were, we, we knew who we were in Christ, we knew who we were, we were theirs, we belonged to them, and there was a security in that, um, that really launched us out into the world to be lights in the darkness. And... Um, that's something that really marked me in my life is that place of home. And as we went out into the world, even as really young people, we saw transformation around us because the life of Jesus had been cultivated in our home. And through us, we were secure enough to go out into the world and give it to the world. Not only that, but... All the friends that I had, I remember in those seasons, they wanted to be in our home. Like our home was the safe place for many to come. And many got saved and helped out and they were fathered and mothered in ways they were not in their own home. And so we, uh, for my sister and I, that was life transforming for us and it was what really set us on fire um, to be able to be world changers. And we see the that idea of family and home. We see the same thing in the church and God's design for church, that church would be a place where the kingdom culture is so rich that like, our lives are defined by what God says about us, that we know who we are, we know whose we are, because we've read the word of God, we've been met by the spirit of God, he's spoken who we are, that there's a confidence and a healing that happens in that place, That there's clarity Thank um, because God has designed us to live in certain ways that are in the Bible that he's written out for us um, and that we could be in a place of community and acceptance and where we're pressing into relationships with one another um, and we're transformed and we are then grown up in our calling to be sent out into the world and so that's really what we are excited about I'm so excited about this series is because we really do believe that it's a call for us on this church um, as a movement it is but for us personally like, We believe that God's calling us to be a place um, of growing up in God with one another. And there are certain kingdom values that God's lined out for us uh, to make that happen and for the life of Christ to grow up and through us. And so, um, anyway, so we're really excited. and We've been talking about this series, and a number of things Mark's going to hit on um, are just a a few important elements that we um, see for um, making that, cultivating that in this church family. So, I'm really excited.
0: Amen. Amen. Yes.
1: And now I'm going to take over.
0: Uh, no. no, but, yeah, so we absolutely, you know, we're going to focus more on the church side of the family of God. We absolutely believe that the, the, the church family does not replace a natural family, but they go hand in hand. And I want to say we are absolutely passionate about the idea of family. It's God's idea. We're absolutely passionate about it and committed to just giving our best to our own family and leading that out, and we're actually going to be doing more as a church than ever before to invest in marriage and parenting and family. Really excited about that, so we're actually making some plans for the summer and fall that I'm really excited about. We'll be going, uh, doing some things in that direction, but uh, yeah, so amen. I love, I love uh, yeah, what Crystal shared. I believe that God um, is, is interested not just in how big we are but in who we are in how we live in the culture we have inside the house of God. Because like I said, it is, it is that culture, that kingdom culture, as Crystal do that, will transform lives as Jesus is at the center. It is that culture that will create us uh, to be a place that is home for many, not only in this city, but around the world. And so we're going to go into that this series. And, you know, as I uh, want to turn to Ephesians 2 as we start, uh, if I, some people can bring some Bibles down the aisle. <clears throat> On top of that, I actually heard a number of sermons, including one recently that someone sent to me that just it just pushed me over the edge. of Like, hey, we've got to go that direction. So uh, that sermon lit me up. We're going here and taking a couple of those ideas here into this sermon. You know, so with Antioch, uh, a, a phrase you'll hear around Antioch is, we believe that Jesus in the local church is the hope of the world. Jesus through his local church is the hope of the world. I alluded to it last week talking about things going on in our nation. We believe in government. We believe in all these different things. We believe in legislation, but ultimately and the church is taking its place in government, the church is taking its place and being a voice and ultimately bringing the good news, life-transforming power of Jesus Christ in a relationship, and family, it is the hope of the world. We have something to offer, not only in the good news, but in the family of God that no one else has to offer to the world. As I started to think of... Uh, the sustained impact. When I look at church history and church movements, I begin to think, because I'm praying, God, and I believe he's put in our hearts that God has called our little family to be a movement that would touch the nations even. So as I've looked in church history, there's been movements that have come and gone. Even in recent times, there's been big churches who have come and gone. They've seen a lot of impact, and then something happens with a pastor, or something, and the whole church blows up, it's like, where did everyone go Or something doesn't go right, and people... Can't worship anymore. All of a sudden, I said, "What? What is it that leaves lasting impact? That really sees deep life transformation, and sees that not only in individuals in the church, but sees it outside the church as well? What is that?" And this theme of family kept coming to mind. And as I looked throughout Scripture, I realized that throughout Scripture, the theme of family. Is very strong. Even in the Old Testament, you see God brought about his purposes through a family. The beginning of Matthew starts with a genealogy of family. It goes back to family lines. God births his purposes through family from Genesis to Revelation. Again, you see it throughout the Old Testament. I'm not going to go there here today, but I do want to go to the New Testament then. And not only does God birth his purposes through family, God is creating a family. Turn to Ephesians 2. I want to look at verses 18 to 22. I want to just take a fresh look at our understanding of the church. Today going to be a little more of an overview. We're going to have some fun. We're going to get as far as we can get today, and we're going to have a great time in this sermon series. So, um So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 and 22. Now, the book of Ephesians is a book about the church, about Jesus and his church and what he's doing. It's an awesome book. And in chapter 2, it starts by saying that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ to the good news of Jesus. And that he's taking those far from God, and those who believe in Christ, he's making them one, whether they're Gentiles or Jews, making them one who believe in Christ. And he goes on to basically explain what Jesus is doing, starting in verse... Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 18. So through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the idea is that we're not just saved in a bunch of saved individuals, right? You, this is a big kind of macro plan. This is a macro look at God's purposes in the earth. God isn't just saving individuals so they go to heaven. I mean, God is building the church. God is saving individuals to bring them into a family, and he's giving us access to him. We're not just saved to go to heaven. We're accessed to know the Father. We're saved to access the Father and walk this life with Him, and then get to be with Him for all eternity. And now He's building a church, and not just an organization. He's not building a business. He's not building this slick deal. He's building a family. That's what it says when it says the house of God. It's not talking. Members of his household, it's not talking about a location, it's not talking about a building, that word church, ecclesia, it's talking about a people who are called out. So here when it talks about the household of God, it's talking about the family of God. What is Jesus doing in the earth, not just right now, but through the New Testament purpose, through the work of the cross, Jesus is building a family on this earth, which will be a reflection of what of him and his kingdom, and who will bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth. And ultimately, Jesus will come back. Some other, I meant to have a slide with these on, but I did not send that. But I will bust through just a few other places. We see the theme of family in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 3.15 talks about this being the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Earlier in that chapter, 1 Timothy 3, 5, the qualification of an elder is that he must manage his own natural household well, so that he can help and care for the house of God. Galatians 16 says, Let us do good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of faith. Of course, we have Ephesians 2 chapter uh, passage right here. Ephesians 4 talks about church leaders, Equipping the people in the church, the family of God, for the work of the ministry so that everyone in the family of God grows up and are mature, no longer like children. Right? We come in as like children, we come in like kids in the church, but then God's design for church leadership and the church is to be in one another's lives so that we grow up and are no longer like children, tossed to and fro like waves whenever something hard happens. We'll talk more about that. In this series, and then, of course, there's a beautiful picture of what happened through the cross is that God has adopted us into the family. He's become our father, and we are brothers and sisters. You see that in John 1:12 12, and 1 John 3, 1 and 2, Ephesians 1, 5, Ephesians 5, 1, and Romans eight sixteen, to say the least. Okay, so there are some implications of family, right? Because we all like the idea Of family. And so I want to kind of unpack then the implication. What are the implications? How can we take it past idea? That's a good idea. We are church family, right? But so often we don't experience that, right? Or even take it farther home, we we don't live that so often. Now y'all do this so well. I I I know you guys, y'all do this already. So this is not a rebuke or a challenge, but this is kind of framing our view and theology of the church. This is framing our normal. There are ways, Antioch, that we are living this out really well. There are ways that we can grow in this, right? And so I want to kind of paint a biblical picture here and invite us to, to run after that. And I believe that's what God is doing in our church this season. I really believe that God is putting this thing of family deep so that as we go wide, we don't get swept away and we don't become shallow, But that would be deep so that when people walk into this church, we're transformed and transformed people, bring transformation. I'm getting ahead of myself. So what are some of the implications of family? We have an amazing father. We have an amazing father. Ephesians 2.8 says, for through him, speaking of Jesus, we have access. We both have access in one spirit to the father. I love it. You see the Trinity right there, too. We have access through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, who we all share to the Father. That's amazing, guys. We have literally not just a good father, or a good good father, as a song would say. We literally have the best father in the whole world. We have an amazing father. Now, I went into it in the last sermon series. I went into knowing what the scriptures say about who God is. We have an incredible father. He's literally the best in the whole world. There is no one like him. If 1 John 3 says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. I love it. It says, and so we are. <clears throat> We're children of God. He adopted us into the family. That's incredible. We have a God that loves us no matter what, no matter what. They're my kids. They're crazy. They're wild. They poop, and they pee, and they disobey, and they, they do crazy stuff sometimes. But they're my kids. It doesn't change. I love them because I love them because I love them. Not by what they did. It doesn't change my proximity in my heart. I love them. I love them. I love them no matter what. And I do it all over again. They're amazing. I love them. I'm their dad. What they do doesn't change their status with me. They're my kids, period. And I get to see myself in them. It's amazing. That's what God sees. He sees we're made in his image. Not only that, when we're saved, Christ is inside of us, he sees himself in us. Now, this is good news for us because all of us, none of us, had a perfect earthly father. And many of us, have a broken relationship with our father or maybe you don't know your father or maybe you're distant from him and that's significant because the father obviously the father and mother both play significant roles the father and again the mother does these as well but the father is crucial to provide security and protection a sense of security and protection for the kid to speak identity and value and purpose over kids And the the verbal and emotional intimacy with the Father affirms throughout the years that we as children are okay as we are and accepted without needing a bunch of other things and people to be okay with ourselves. But the reality is we live in a broken world, and even if you had a great earthly dad, we didn't perfectly receive from him. And so we go into the world needing God. God. And the good news is we have a God whose scripture says is a father to the fatherless. We have a God, Psalm 27 says, uh, that though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. That's good news. Because your future and your wholeness is not defined by what you didn't receive growing up from your parents. Let me say that again. Your future and your personal freedom and your wholeness and your sense of worth is not defined by what you didn't receive growing up. You got it in God. So I want to say, all of you in this room, there is great hope. There is a great hope, and not only is he our Father, he made us a new creation through the work of Jesus. Man, I could, this is a whole sermon. You might say, man, I'm a mess, you know, or... I'm a mess, whatever. I want to say, he adopted you knowing full well. He adopted you knowing full well it would be a process with you. I've had many friends adopt kids, many of them from traumatic situations. Some of us, many of us have gone through trauma living in this world. Many have adopted from traumatic situations, and it is literally like, like hell for the parents for a season. I mean, the kids are just ex- can get extremely abusive physically. They can, it, it can be off the wall. I have some friends that just recently adopted, and they said, it is. I mean, he is going home from work all the time. He's only able to work 20, 30 hours a week just because he's got to protect his wife from their kids. Because the trauma that they experienced before they got adopted is, is surfacing and coming out, and they're getting healed and whole, though, through the process of getting loved unconditionally. That's our purpose, and that's our portion in the house of God. There's great hope in the house of God. We come in broken, and the hope isn't that I'm a great pastor, although that is part of the equation. The hope is in God. The hope isn't in the person next to you not letting you down. The hope isn't that we're a perfect church, because we're not, and if you're looking for that, you're not going to be able to stick around here, because we're not, <laughs> Right? We're imperfect, but we have a perfect, amazing Father who's gonna love us through the journey until we're who He's called us to be. There's great hope in the household of God. Who knows there's hope here? There's hope in this family. And the foundation of that is not just the person next to you is God. That's why this passage says that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. We look to him, not just to each other. We look first to him. When our relationships are messed up in this church, when our family relationships outside this church are messed up, we don't look to get our needs met in each other. We look to Jesus. We can work through forgiveness because we have Jesus. We can work through our brokenness because we have Jesus. We can work through our issues with one another and our missed expectations and the way we let one another down and the way we hurt one another because we have Jesus. We can go through anything and come out there the other side because we have Jesus. There's no house like the house of God because there's no house that is a father like our father and a savior like Jesus. I have a good friend um, back in Texas who uh, was actually a father uh, to Crystal and I, a spiritual father, and he grew up, um, his dad was not in the picture, I don't think he even knows his dad, and um, he grew up almost homeless, in and out of being homeless, and uh, his mom uh, would basically go from guy to guy. And so it was kind of a different guy, you know, every week kind of deal. And he literally, as a young kid, would hear his mom getting beaten as he would be overdosed on doors, getting beaten. And he'd have to go in as a young kid and stand up to these men and say, you're not going to do that to my mom. Well, eventually, you can imagine the hurt and brokenness. He leaves, and he's 16 years old now, homeless. And uh, he's going to school, though, and one of his classmates Uh, is um, a strong Christian family. And they have uh, quite a bit of money and pretty well off and just kind of Christian values and the deal. And so his friend at school goes to his dad. Um, His friend goes to his friend's dad and says, hey, we got a friend that's homeless. Can we take him in? So they take him into their house and they adopt him. They adopt this kid off the streets. They adopt him. And he said it was literally like walking into like, he's like, would open the fridge and there'd be like 10 two liters of, every, of soda of like every kind. And he's like, can I touch it? Because he, he had to fight and steal for most things he had in his life. And here it is. He's like, I'll just open it up. Take whatever you want. Well, it was a process of healing and restoration. He didn't know how to live. He didn't know how to act. So he gets adopted. God restores his heart. Uh, he gets sent overseas uh, years ago with Antioch, and now he's leading out an incredible nonprofit organization that is literally touching the nations of the earth. Uh, he jumped in a, he, he got taken into a family. And not only did he get loved till he became personally whole, but it was a space and place for him to find his gifts, to find his passion, to find his identity, and to find security. And from that place, launch into his calling alongside the local church. Right, so God, we have an incredible father that loves us and comes to us and initiates with us. But not only that, we need to learn to be family. And in family, we find purpose. And in family, we find calling. And in family, we find security. And in family, we learn how to be sons and daughters. Ephesians 2.19 says, so you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. So, we're family. And we're no longer what we were out there who don't think and act like family. We're family. I want to say, real quick, as a pastor, that's a little vulnerable for me to say. Because I know we're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. But I am called as a pastor uh, to lead us forward. Now, y'all do this so well, but I also know we're not perfect. And man, I want to call us here. Even though the journey will not be perfect, the process will not be perfect, I want to call us forward. So what are some of the implications of being family beyond having an incredible father? We're going to unpack them through this, throughout the series, but just let me hit a few here. We need to understand we come from a consumer culture, and that's not entirely bad, you know, it drives business and different things. It's not entirely bad. But when that, enters, that becomes kind of, our understanding of how we relate to other people, that kind of mars some things. So none of us are like, man, I'm looking for a new church. I don't think anyone here is like, I'm looking for a church. I really want, like, a consumer church. I just want people to, like, do everything for me. And, like, I really, I don't really, you know, I don't really want to grow. I just want to, like, be entertained. I don't think anyone here is saying that, Right. No one wants it. We want family, we want depth. That's, that's uh, hopefully, some of what you are finding in this church, and, and there's so many great churches in the city that are that, they're family, they're deep, awesome. And I also don't, like I said, don't claim to be uh, perfect. But, but I think none of us say that, but I think how we've gotten kind of trained to think by the world around us goes a little deeper than we think. So let me just kind of give a couple examples. Now anyone here like customer service? Anyone? Now, now, you're, like, nervous because, like, what's the right answer in light of the sermon, you know? So thank you for the few of you that raised your hand. I love good customer service, right? If I'm paying money, I love me some good cause And I'm a business-minded person, so I'm like, man, I just, I notice things. And I'm like, man, I could get them a little consulting, you know, just teach. You know? We go in it, we go, but what happens is we pay money and we expect good customer service. That's kind of right, you know? And so we kind of see, so we're at a restaurant and it's like, 10 minutes before someone talks to us, we're like, and then we ask for our burger to be done a certain way, and it doesn't come out that way, or we ask for a certain thing not to be on there, and it comes out a different way, or something's not totally fresh. Now, we handle that in different ways. Now, there's some of us that are loud about that. And so, you know, some of us, hey, can can I speak with your manager? Because this is going to be a problem here. All right? I paid money for this. There's some of us that are kind of sneaky a lot about, it, like, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to give you a Google review. <laughs> These people, they don't know. <laughs> but I think uh, even if you're not that, likely is we're kind of silent about it. We're not going to say anything, but we're probably not going to come back. And that's not all bad. We're paying money to be served, right? So this, I understand that I like customer service when I'm paying. But when I take that into my home. And it comes a little different story. If I come home and I'm like, and by the way, I don't do this. Just, you know. If I'm like, hey, why is dinner taking so long? It's been 10 minutes. I've not been seated. If I take the first bite, oh, spit it out in the napkin. Honey, that's... Uh, That's a little too pink. You know that I like my burgers more like medium well. (coughs) You're going to have to take this back and throw it in the grill. (coughs) And I noticed that uh, you did bring me the the meal, but you didn't smile when you gave it to me. And you didn't ask if I needed anything else. (coughs) I I don't know if I'm going to come back to this table. In fact, I'm going to go find somewhere else to eat. (coughs) That's weird, right? Because it's not it's not a business it's a family <laughs> right we, we we fundamentally relate to one another different it's not bad to expect to, i want to be served when i pay money but when we take our expectations of of businesses into family it starts to get a little different right or my kids my kids are they not being kind they're being rude <clears throat> right I mean, they're just off the deep end this season. I'm, I'm done with this one. This relationship's getting too hard for me. It makes me really uncomfortable. They're asking me hard questions, or I have to say some hard things for them, for this relationship to be made right? I'm done with this relationship. I'm going to go somewhere where it's easier. I'm going to cut these relationships. No, we're family. These are my kids, right? These are my kids. Family has a way of looking out for itself because it's committed to one another, right? When we're consuming, we're committed to one another as long as it's convenient for us. In family, we're committed to one another when it is convenient and when it's not. Family has a way of looking out for itself. In my family, now my sister annoyed the junk out of me when we were young. She's three years older than me. She just annoyed me, man. She would intentionally, I remember coming to my parents and calling, To do it, you know, and they still bring it up to this day. They're like, but when I'm off in Texas and I find out she's dating someone, uh, you know, she's a few years older than me, I came home and took him to lunch (laughs) because family has a way of looking out for each other. Who is this guy? I took him to lunch. I heard his story. I shared my story. I led him to Jesus the first time. They're married and have an awesome family and they uh, go to church and Trying to follow Jesus. But it didn't matter whether she annoyed the junk out of me. I didn't exit that relationship. In fact, I had a great conversation with her this week. We worked it through because we're committed to one another because we're family. And we weren't even believers when he had to work it through. Our parents would always say, man, whatever happens. Again, we weren't all believers. Actually, none of us were believers. They said, no matter what happens, you can come tell us. No matter what happens, and whatever dumb things you do. I did plenty. And I actually gone for one for a season without telling them. Well, I start, you know, dealing stuff illegally. I start getting arrested. And my parents loved me through the journey. They didn't boot me for good. They didn't excommunicate me. They didn't cut off. They loved me through the journey. And then I get in a car accident, which I'm at fault at, which I've told you guys about before. And my friend dies in the car accident. I'm at fault at it. I'll never forget the shame I felt sitting in the hospital knowing that someone just died because of my actions. And what happens, my family comes in in tears. And the first thing my dad does is hug me and says, we're going to make it through this because we're family. When I thought I had done everything wrong, I'd been arrested, I'd done these different things, When I thought, surely my life is beyond help, he came the closest and he held me and we wept together he said, we're family. We're going to make it through this. We're going to make this. And man, I, crying. I saw my parents love me and go to bat for me and tell me the hard things, but also love me through the process. And my sister, who annoyed the junk out of me, went to testify on my behalf in court to tell people about how God was in my life. And I was changing my life through this accident. You see, it wasn't perfect, but we're family, and it became a place of security and transformation and hope that ultimately, uh, as I went to college and then I'm here today planning a church, my family has been some of my biggest fans of the process, even when they didn't understand what church planning even was. They're like, what is this? I never heard of this. Great. We're going to start a church. They've been some of our biggest fans of the process. It created a place of security. It created almost like a greenhouse for me to grow up. Though it was imperfect, it created a greenhouse for me to grow up and to learn to love my sister and for us to be at bat for one another and walk ultimately into our calling. It's through that commitment to one another that creates that safe place. I want to say the hurt is real. Whether it's hurt in your natural family or church hurt, I've heard some terrible stories of things people experience in church. I want to say I'm sorry. That is real. That's that's real. And the unfortunate thing about church is God is perfect, but people aren't. Some of us have experienced real hurt and real pain. And I want to say, uh, if you're hurting today, we're so glad you're here. I want to say it's okay to not be okay in this church. And we want to walk the journey with you. I know that you don't ultimately, it may not happen overnight, but you don't need to live there and stay there. We want to walk the journey with you. And our tendency, though, is to say, man, I started getting involved in church or even in my family, and it didn't feel like family because I got hurt. I want to say, man, that's family. That's what's going to happen. When you get two imperfect people who actually, or numerous imperfect people who start to get a relationship with another past what's shallow, you're going to have some hurt. You're going to have some miscommunications because we're not all the same, and we're not perfect. So it's going to happen. I mean, think about your family growing up. You didn't have just perfect ideal. I mean, I look at my kids, right? And I'm like, we do our best, but it's crazy sometimes, right? And we are a church of imperfect people. We're saved by the grace of God. But we're learning to follow Jesus together. It's not if you will be misunderstood. It's not if You'll have missed expectations. It's not if you'll you'll have a miss or hurt and pain somewhere, it's what we will do with it. It's what we will will we be family, or will we say, hey, this is not convenient? So love and the commitment to one of that creates a greenhouse for us to be transformed, using that greenhouse analogy for us to be transformed. For us to be a place where others come in and get transformed. And for us to be sent out into whatever on Monday morning or down the road to be deep, whole, secure people. You see, we're not called to be people that look like the world. Though we'll have misunderstandings, though we'll have hurt at times, we're not called to look like the world because of the power of Jesus. We are a supernatural family. We are a supernatural family. Y'all tracking with me? All right, we're a supernatural family. We're to have, like my wife talked about, in their home, their culture was different like the out, from the outside world. We're to have a culture in here that looks different than your workplace on Monday morning. We're to have a culture in here that is living at a different level of love because love lives inside of us, and his name is Jesus. Right? So we're going to have a culture that looks different than this world. If I can get that chart up here, that little graph up here. I just, I'm taking our staff through these kind of five relational values. I don't know if we're going to use them as a whole church or not, but I just thought I'd use them today. Taking our staff through these five relational values. In the kingdom of God, we honor one another in the family of God. We honor people. It's what we do. In the world, people have as much value as they can give to us. In the church... Whether someone can offer us something or not, we honor them because they're made in the image of God. Whether they're saved or not, we will honor people. It's what we do. Whether they can offer something, whether it's convenient, whether it's not, we will put great value on people because they're made in the image of God. We will honor people. We will love people and honor makes a way for people. We're going to talk about that in a series. We will work hard. This is all from Romans 12. We will, five H's. We will hard work. We will work hard in this family. Why? Because of Jesus. We will work with our whole heart. Colossians chapter 3 whatever you do, do unto the Lord, working the whole heart as working unto the Lord and not unto men. We will work hard, and this world says you only work as hard as you need to get the job done. We want to work hard because it creates family and it reflects the Father's nature, right? Healthy conflict. We'll have, we don't run, we don't explode, we don't, and what that does, if you're a runner or an exploder, right, we all have tendencies one way or the other, you could probably know what you are, especially if you're married, you know exactly what you are. Running and exploding and not coming back to it never produces change in you, it never produces relational intimacy. We will have times in the church or in relationships with people outside the church where we want to run and explode, one or the other, but God has called us to use those opportunities to actually reflect Jesus and get to know one better. My wife and I's greatest intimacy with one another and knowing one another has come from conflict. Therefore, we value healthy conflict. We will be hospitable. That means showing love and care towards those and the outsiders. We will reflect Jesus towards the outside world because we've been transformed by Jesus. Scripture says they will know who we are by our love for one another. And lastly. <clears throat> We as Christians, according to scripture, will be honest and vulnerable and humble. When we're asked, we don't skirt the truth. We don't hide who we are. We're authentic. Because we know it's not our works that saved us. It's not our works that that make God love us more or make other people love us. But we have value in and of who we are because we're made in the image of God. Therefore, we have nothing to hide and only we're able to be free And open so that we can walk in that freedom and walk in that love. This is who we are as a church. Now, I know we're not perfect, and there's a process to maturity. So if you're like, I don't do this very well, man, we're so glad you're here. I don't do them all well either, right? Our staff doesn't do them all well. We're talking it over as a staff. But this is who we are. This is what we do because of who we are and what's been done in the cross. So I want to lay this out of just these are just scriptural things. I want to call us up as a church. We want to have a culture that when someone walks in from the outside, they're like, I feel so valued. I didn't even do anything for this church. I didn't tithe. I'm not valued because I tithe. You know, we just love you, you know. You don't serve to get value in this church. You're just valued because you're honored. They walk in and say, like, man, people are working hard. I can't tell if this is a staff person or a volunteer because they're just working hard, because they have a vision of Jesus. Right, Jesus didn't come to make employees. He didn't come to save employees. He came to create a family. He's talking about that. I mean, we have our kids. So, yeah, that's our, that's our heart. But part of this, kind of transition away from that, is, um, wrap it up in a few minutes. Part of this is, let's uh, listen to sermon. the sermon. Pastor's talking about personal responsibility. We take personal, because we're Christians, we take Personal responsibility. I know in, in our family we have a, a five, three, you know, a five, a four, and one year old. And as they get older, we give them little tasks to do. And I love the spontaneity and the craziness they're into their own world. But what grows them as people is when they learn to take responsibility. That's one of the main ways we've seen them grow. Now we have all kinds of space for spontaneous fun. And when we even when we do, if you've been in our house after dinner, we turn on music, and we're all washing dishes, and we're dancing, and we're having fun. It's what we do, but everyone has a little job to do, uh, and even our one-and-a-half-year-old takes a little plate up, and she can do that, and that's great. She has a hard time reaching it sometimes, but she does it. It's fun, but they're growing. Our kids, when they don't have any responsibilities, they go crazy, literally. they they the, the days, they're the craziest, and we don't expect them to do anything. And I'm talking as they get old, you know. <clears throat> But when they have a little bit of responsibility, it's kind of like it's kind of like a truck, you know. They drive better with a little weight in the back. A little responsibility goes a long way. That is part of our maturing process as Christians. God gives us some things that we're responsible. For. There are some clear scriptural commands to love one another, to forgive, to care, to bear one another's burdens, to to pray, to seek God, to 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 share the good news with those on the outside, and in the maturity process comes as we learn to embrace those in the grace, not as works, but by the grace of God, we embrace those God-given responsibilities. So think about it, back to my restaurant analogy. I've never gone to a restaurant and be like, that was amazing customer service. I feel like I really grew from that experience. I was refreshed, and that's great. I expect to be refreshed in the restaurant. I don't go to a restaurant to get served so I can grow other than outward, right? (laughs) that's not where I'm looking to grow I grew in family I grow in family my kids are challenging times they grow me our marriage has conflicts in times it grows me as believers our goal ought not to be as comfortable as possible our goal is to fall more in love with Jesus and grow and so what does God do? he puts us in a family and he gives us some responsibilities and he puts us in a relationship with people that are different than us we're going to have some misses at times. And he says, you're in the perfect spot. You're frustrated right now? You're in the perfect spot. <clears throat> Lastly, what happens is we learn to take responsibility. And the responsibility says, this isn't the pastor's church. This is my family. <clears throat> this is my house. I see some trash on the ground. This is my house. And people are going to come into my house today i want to serve my brothers. i want to pick up the trash because this is my house. What starts happening? We have great people greeting, and we have great people. We're, we're creating systems. How can we connect more people to get bigger so that everyone feels like family? But ultimately, the systems won't carry the day. It's culture. Can you imagine if we had a church of people that were like saying, I can't wait to meet someone new because God is always in the process of adopting people. And I know what it's like to go to church for the first time and be afraid and scared and wonder if people are going to love me. So therefore, I'm going to make this my house. I'm going to welcome people into my house. I can't wait. Hey, you're sitting alone. Come sit with us. Hey, come to my life group. Hey, let me connect you to someone I think you can connect with. Hey, come to lunch with us. Great. We can create great systems in this church and great little ministries, but ultimately it's people making disciples. It's not, hey... Because I think we live in this, like, my pastor is amazing culture. And we want our pastor to live the Christian life for us. And we gather on the pastor, we're like, he's a great preacher. He's a really good evangelist. He says, my pastor is amazing, and our pastor is living the Christian life for us. No. You lead someone to Jesus, it's not, hey, what's, what can the church do for them? It's, you are the church. What are you doing for them? We've got tools, we've got life groups, we've got tools. We, but the command is for us to make disciples. <clears throat> so it's, it's, it's all of us being a family where people are going to come in, where we're going to get transformed, and then people will come in and be transformed. We're all going to grow. We're all going to have something amazing that's out of this world because we're loving one another. <laughs> and we're going to be so mature that when we get sent out to Monday at a workplace, we'll be in, mature enough not to get overtaken by the culture, but actually to create culture. Because we so look like Jesus because we learned it in the house. We learned it in the family. We learned how to do with conflict in the family. We learn how to have hard conversations in the family. We learn how to be faithful. We learn how to serve. We learn how to, you know, I'm not saying, hey, um, what is my job? What's my job title? I'm going to get this job title within my family. So I like, work up to dishwashing. No, no, it's, we just do it because we're family, right? We learn it in the family. We become so much like Jesus when we go to work Monday morning. We actually set culture because we're living from another world. It's the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus came to preach, not just salvation. He came to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He's establishing his kingdom on this earth through people who learn family. And when we do it here in this house, we will not only see people come and be transformed, we will be change agents in the world around us.